Welcome back to the Product Stories Podcast, hosted by Victor Peralnik. This podcast helps founders like yourself to find leaner ways to build successful SaaS products. Welcome back, everyone. Today's guest is Shruti Bunsal, Principal Product Manager at Kepler. In this episode, she will share with us her journey of becoming a product manager to build software to improve the commodity trading and the freight industry. It's a very, very interesting topic. Shruti, welcome to the show. Thank you, Victor. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So you have basically become a product manager to build a fairly large piece of software from scratch. And and that is a super exciting story and something a lot of our listeners will like to understand more about. Um, why don't you give us a little background on how you how you got there? So yeah, I'm Shruti. I come originally from India, born and brought up there. So for now, I've had almost 12 years of experience working in the commodities and shipping space. So I look at my career split in two parts before and after Kepler. So before Kepler, I was working uh, within commodities and shipping all over the world. I've worked in places like Singapore, UAE, South Africa, Germany as well. And right now I'm back in UAE. I've worked as an analyst and trader on the paper market primarily. And I got introduced to Kepler in my previous company on a trading floor as an end user. I think from the get-go, I was I had high admiration for what Kepler was doing. And being in my own space for 10 years, I was also working on building some small solutions to cater internally to my desk and myself. So uh, that's when I saw the opportunity to kind of start transitioning. And that's what I've been doing for the last two years, being the principal product manager at Kepler for uh, one of their product offerings on freight. We took one year to develop from 2019 to 2020 to develop the product. And then it has been launched for over a year now. And it has been very positively received by the industry. So extremely happy about that. That's awesome. That's that's a big success. When, when you said you were building small internal tools within your previous job, what did that look like? Um, how did you learn to build software within your company? I always had an inclination towards tech because when I started working, we were using uh, VBA, Excel files, and PDFs, and copy-pasting was a nightmare. And data was just growing in the shipping space at the moment. And suddenly, we saw this big influx of data. So I knew like you have to be comfortable with tech to be able to make sense of the data at hand. So my journey with development and tech started there. Initially, it was just me trying to do things to make my own life simple. And from there, it gradually uh, went on to becoming building this internal database. So again, at my previous company, which was an energy utility, we had 50 data providers, data sources, and data was coming from all directions. So first and foremost, we just wanted to create a database. So we had allocated, we had some developers allocated to us. So basically, I had to learn their language, try to make them understand as an end user, what do I want? And then to help them in scoping, building, validating, those kind of things. And then you obviously, as they say, in every spreadsheet, there's a SaaS business. I guess you, you saw what could be done, what could be very useful for your industry. And then how did that go with, with Kepler? I understand that you've built a new product, basically, for, for a new industry. And how did that look like? Did you come with your ideas or was there a, a global hypothesis? It was a mix of both. So 
I had a home advantage. Like I had my own baggage that I came with to Kepler, telling them, guys, this is the problems I have been seeing for the last 10 years. But obviously it was still limited in its perspective and scope because it was just me and my exposure so far. So when I joined Kepler in 2019, the company was already five years old and they had collected a lot of feedback over time. So I did spend a lot of time initially to sort through that feedback, to align that feedback with my own thoughts. And again, a philosophy that I try to follow or we try to follow at Kepler is to try and answer before you develop a product, why do you want to develop it? So for us to figure out what are we trying to solve and why was a great exercise that helped us uh, stay focused both in the short term and long term. So initially, yeah, I came, I had the feedback. We also did some validation through product advisory calls, through doing some um, calls with my industry contacts, doing some test runs, some mock-ups, those kind of things. And that's when the scoping design and development began. So mostly, mostly from customer conversations. Do you have any advice for people trying to do the same thing at this point? Did you did you find anything difficult or any specific way to ask questions or what to avoid? I think generally what I've experienced is clients are very friendly and they are more than happy to share with you the list of their requirements. I think one interesting learning was 90% of the time when you speak to someone, they have this big list of requirements and that's very easy to follow. But 10% of the times, not necessarily because they want to hide it, but they're not able to communicate. And you have to pick up on those, those hidden requirements. And this is what we try to do. So we organize a product advisory session where we get in touch with some of our friendly clients or allies. We set up a one-hour call with them and we ask them to show us, okay, of course, you're going to tell us what you need, but show us your work day-to-day workflow. What do you do? What does a typical day look like for you? And in those sessions, when they're showing us what do they do, we're like, okay, maybe this is something that we can try and resolve. That's when we go back, we take the risk, we develop it, we deliver it. And a lot of times it's positively received, sometimes it's not, but that's just part of product development. I don't think there are any bad questions or wrong questions. I genuinely believe in that. As long as you're trying, I think one tip I would say, or one recommendation if I can is, Whenever we work with tech, sometimes words are used like disruption or displacement, displacing human workflows and capital. I think that's when it can get a bit, people can get offended. If somehow, like tomorrow, if someone calls me and tells me, oh, I'm going to develop a product that's going to disrupt your workflow and potentially make you redundant, I think that's not going to be well received. But I think besides that, so don't use these buzzwords and try and be friendly and see how you can make their life better. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. And so uh, how, how many conversations have you had roughly? Do you know? Do you recall? Oh, um, too many. Again, I like talking to clients. I like talking to people. I like getting their feedback. I think especially at the when the product was at the nascent stage, freight is a complicated market. I don't want to go into details why it's uh, complicated. But it needs a certain level of expertise. And that's why I had to interact a lot. I would say maybe three to four calls, including demos and feedback sessions in a week is where I started at. Now, definitely, I have incorporated that knowledge within Kepler. 
So there are people who can go and talk about these topics. So now it's going less and less frequent, but still the product advisory, we try to do it as often as we can. That makes sense. And now you've, you've probably had, I, I can just imagine that because whenever I have calls, I have, and especially calls like that, pages of notes. So you must have had books written, filled with notes. How do you make sense of that when planning out a product in the beginning? Because there must also be conflicting views. There must be different requirements. You need to find this core of a minimum viable product. How did that go for you? Again, it, it tied up very nicely with why we want to build. And it was about identifying where the gap is. So if I give you the example of how I went about it, we saw in the freight analytics, the market analytics, there were a lot of tools and softwares available for executing whatever trading decision or whatever your workflow is. But there was a tool lacking for the strategy and planning and being able to help you make those decisions. So that's where we identified the gap. And that's where we went for. We also did like competition landscaping where we saw a lot of our competitors were providing, let's say, if A plus B equals C, they were providing B and not A. So I think that identification is very critical. And of course, we use tools for feedback management. Um, I do note down everything that I have over the pen and paper during the call. But then we follow a good practice that as soon as the call is done, there is a tool called Harvester that we use and we plug in the, every feedback. Then as product team, we go through that feedback on a weekly basis and we sort it out in terms of discoveries. Okay, this is a common requirement. We do put attributes to them. So for example, the size of the company, the impact that the solution will have, not just on this user, but overall in the industry and overall for us as a company, things like how much investment is needed, not just in revenue, like not just in the cost, but time and resources so we have those attributes that we assign to each and every discovery or topic and that helps lets us prioritize things and put some kind of quantitative analysis to a very qualitative uh, feedback that we get and now you have that feedback that you've systematized put in order put in structure discussed you've, you've come up with a common denominator what you actually want to build what was your development setup? What was your product team essentially in the beginning? And what is it now? So in the beginning, it was a lot of strategy calls with the top management, presenting them the business case, presenting them a plan of action for the next 12 months. And this is where a lot of scoping work was done. So, okay, what do we want to do? How exactly we want to do it? We split it into development phases. This is where the minimum viable product also comes in. So initially, a lot of the, that was done by me with the help of the data and people I had. And after that, then there's a specific list of what data and uh, developers do we need. And once we have those resources allocated, that's when we try to split the entire roadmap in different milestones. So every quarter, let's say, is a milestone. So let's say we want to tackle topic A in Q1, then that is further split into sprints. So we have three sprints, four sprints every quarter. One sprint is three weeks. And then within that milestone, we break it down into small tasks like story cards, and every sprint will have certain cards allocated. So 
that's how we go about in development of course a, a big part is also going early to the market so we are very agile like that we don't want to wait until the product is perfect we believe in a philosophy that you make it work you go get feedback and then you keep refining it over time i guess that's always a trade off right because um I'm not sure with your product was there any risks with uh clients using an imperfect product making decisions maybe with a with a bug or something was there any risk like that there's always a risk inherited in product development that's what i believe in there are minimum quality checks that we put in place so we won't just put anything in front of the clients and that's why also kepler kind of bring market experts so that the first level of product that goes out it's still qualitatively uh, much better than you're not just putting anything and everything in front of clients because you're exactly like like a trader in our case looking at this data and if they make wrong decision it can cost them millions and once you lose that credibility with your clients it's very hard to gain it back so there are definitely quality checks in place i mean it's not defined like okay 80% or 70% it's very subjective uh, depending on the situation but from our side the way minimum viable product works is okay it might not have all the 10 functionalities we put five out there but those five will be at least quality wise good enough for users to rely on it so you said it it took about a year to develop did you do any sneak peeks private public betas alphas beforehand or did you wait that year no no we we started doing um alpha and beta access again with all our um, allies from the market we give them early access we give them extended trials then we set up follow up calls with them so all of that definitely i think is very key there are things i mean we are all humans at the end i can do all my research i can scope well we can develop everything but there's always something that you're going to miss it's just part of product management that i have accepted so it's good to go early to the market and get their feedback and yeah for sure was there any anything you'd you'd call like the worst user feedback you ever received or hypotheses that was just so bad that that it, it just wasn't true did that happen i'll have to think about that and i'm not trying to be snobby but <laughs> fortunately <laughs> like the product has been very well received like we worked oh, with clients for so long yes i mean yes there are some on like off calls here and there i don't remember any bad feedback in that sense i think the worst we faced is i mean i can do this on my own why do i need your solution or why do i need it <laughs> yeah of course it now let's turn to um product management in general so you 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 went from being a trader to also building a bit of software on the side to help you and your team work better to actually managing an entire product team and uh from what i hear you've you've done this by the book essentially like very beautifully how how did you learn about product management how did you go about that it was a steep learning curve i'll be honest the first year at kepler i had i had some exposure to product management but there was nothing at risk like it's my own company developers are internal it doesn't matter if it takes 6 months 12 months honestly it did not matter internally it's very different so when i first joined it was intimidating to tackle deadlines to know 
that a company like Kepler, like Kepler in itself has been one of my favorite success stories. Like it's organically grown. It's our co-founders from a small room trying to find a solution on commodity markets from 2014 to where it has grown. So to see like this is genuinely hard work and they are putting their chips on you. It was intimidating and I did not have knowledge. I've not worked with sales before, communications, market, all those sort of things. So my learning has primarily been on the job. I was comfortable with risk being a trader in my previous role. There were some strategies that I applied. Like as a trader, you're always told diversify your risk. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. So I did something similar in product. I'm not going to put all my developers and resources on the same kind of direction of products to diversify that or to try and learn more on the tech side of things like what is ETL, RMS, web server. So just be open to learning. Be honest about things you don't know. I think people appreciate that a lot instead of you trying to pretend you know everything. I've gone to developers and tell them, I don't know the most basic things. Can you help me out? And as soon as you open up, I think people help you out. Same with sales and marketing and commercial. I think it's just been a steep learning curve for me. I'm still learning to this day. And that's also why I love this job so much because it put me out of my comfort zone and it taught me skills that I potentially would have not learned if I stayed where I was. That's great. And I, I absolutely love the being honest and open and, and also just asking for help, right? Because that's also sort of what a product manager does not necessarily ask for help, but understand where people are at and and communicate with them, right? And being this uh, gatekeeper to the backlog, what was the hardest part to learn for you? I think prioritization and resource uh, deployment is the hardest part. Prioritization, again, because you have to learn to say no. As a product manager, you can't say yes to every request that you have because you won't end up anywhere. So prioritizing in that sense is very important and the hardest to learn because it doesn't matter how much quantitative analysis you do, you'll always have this personal human bias and it's hard to get rid of. So those are the struggles I've had. And then I think as an industry on its own, because digitization is so big now, we are genuinely suffering from an undersupply of developers. So we have limited resources and unlimited requests. So how to prioritize what you want to build with the element of risk that you're willing to take and how to deploy the resource, resources that you have for those development, I think has been the hardest or the part where I had to struggle the most. That's very true. I mean, we see it every day in the industry that there's more and more need for developers, but there's just just that many. and. Um, a good product manager and also a good designer working in a product team like that. I mean, iterating in code is, is good, is great, because the best thing you can show to a customer to try is a product, right? It's much better than, than just a mock-up. But when developers are scarce, you need to find ways to iterate outside of code, right? At least try. So that's what a lot of people do. Uh, we've, we've had great people on the show who we were speaking about product management and also about design and, and how to apply that before even writing code. And I guess that's that's one of the strategies that, that we have to use more and more because we just can't build 
an infinite amount of things. Exactly. And and your margin of error is very small and your opportunity cost is so high that it makes it very important to exactly what you're saying, like have your not perfect, but nearly perfect mock-ups and design and then you know exactly where you're going with the resources you have. Do you have any tips and tricks for new product managers on what to learn? What's the most important, apart from prioritization, I assume? <laughs> <laughs> for me, product management is about finding solutions. So focus on that. What is what? What are you trying to solve? So again, goes back to why you're doing what you're doing. Learn to say no. Again, part of prioritization, and don't be afraid to make mistakes. I think that has also been a key key learning. You can have everything prepared. You have the plan, blah, blah, blah. Everything is going perfectly, but you will make mistakes. You will break things when you deploy something. That will happen. And I think that's also one of the best ways you learn. Obviously, you will try to minimize your errors, but don't be afraid to make them. And one rule or mantra that I follow is overspec and underscope. So always assume that you're talking to a five-year-old when you're doing your specifications. So be as elaborate in your specs as you can be and always underscope. So if you think you can develop 10 features in 10 months, just cut it down to seven. Just underscope it. When you have, when you think you have your roadmap ready, just trim it down by 20, 30%. Yeah, that, that's very true. And also about what you said with, with the not being afraid to make mistakes and, and to maybe go in the wrong direction once or twice, even though you we we all tried to figure it out at the customer interview stage, right? You, you say it very well, and also that that you we need to tell the product team that what we're building is not is likely not going to be the perfect solution, because when I'm so super sure that what I'm building is going to be the thing, everybody gets so super pumped. But when we align everybody on, we're just validating this, we're trying this, but we may be doing something else tomorrow. I think it, there's less of a frustration when things change after two months. How do you cope with the responsibility of having to make the right product decisions? I mean, you, you already said, and I think that's very wise and very smart to not put all your eggs in, in one basket. But have you felt pressure on, on that part at any, any point in time? Yes, for sure. I mean, like I say, you have... Cap, like restrictions on capital it's not free flow right and also it's i think it's your moral responsibility to make wise decisions and of course there is that pressure like are you making the right decision but i think i've just been conditioned to it being a trader i'm sorry i keep saying this again and again but just to be accepting of the fact that yes there is a risk or you have to deal with it and sometimes you have to just take that leap of faith you need to do your homework you need to do your research but after a certain point, you also need to just go ahead with it. I think if you have good scoping done, use your tools to not make 50 slides. That's not what I'm saying. But have your arguments ready for, for your business case. Have your execution risk ready. Have your development, like whatever resources you need, the list ready so that you can always fall back on that. And just give it your best shot. If in the end it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I can tell you, you'll see so many products around you that have completely failed. doesn't matter big or small companies. It's just everyone is trying to do their best. And I think that's, that's what I try and remind myself again and again. If your intentions are right, 
I think you should be able to cope with the pressure. Very, very wise words. Thank you so much, Shruti. Where can we find more about you and Kepler? So yeah, Kepler, please uh, go to our website. Uh, it's kpler.com. Um, there you can learn about the company, the co-founders, what do we do in terms of tracking commodity markets and so on, what all products we offer. Um, there's also a possibility to get a free trial, trial for the data that we have. I don't know how many of the listeners would be interested in that, but if you are, please go ahead. Um, you can also find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube. On YouTube, again, we post quite often some free resources, like there are webinars done by a research team on market trends on oil and gas, if you're keen on that. To find me, uh, yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn by my name and you'll see an oil tanker in my profile. So that's going to tell you that it's me. Thank you so much. This has been very, very insightful. Thanks for joining the show today. Thank you so much, Victor, for having me. This show is brought to you by Trustshoring, your friendly concierge to find reliable and tested software developers from Eastern Europe. We recruit full-time developers, match you to an experienced software house that's ideal for your requirements, or recommend a reliable freelancer for smaller projects. But most importantly, you benefit from our experience of developing software remotely for almost 10 years. We give you one-on-one guidance all the way so you're never lost. Stop the tedious hiring or vetting process and get matched to reliable talent. Sign up for a free consulting call with one of our experts today. Go to trustshoring.com.